0: Welcome to part three of our series in our, our series called Mind Games. And, um, you know, sometimes our minds like to do these things where they play games. They try to distract us from the plan that God has for us. And we've been talking about over these past two weeks about how we win at the game, how we win at the game that our mind plays for us. And uh, to start, I thought we would talk about something that, uh, you know, we're very familiar with as people who live in Rochester and western New York, and for those that are watching all across the northeast and uh, Canada, we have some folks watching in Canada. I want to talk about something that we know a lot about, and that is snow. Yes, we know a lot about snow. As a matter of fact, last week it snowed. Raise your hand if you enjoyed it. See, I made it easy for you. You don't have to move. I hated it last week. I looked at it and went, oh, nuts, it's snowing again. However, did it surprise us? Did it stop us in any way from doing what we normally do with our lives? No, it did not. Now, that's because we are experts at snow. We're snow spurts. Let's forget that one. We are experts at snow. We know that when it's going to be a large amount of snow, we know what to do. We know how to put the snow aside so that we can drive around. We know how to be safe in the snow. We know what our vehicles need to have. We know how we need to dress. We know the boots that we need. We know what to do when it snows. As a matter of fact, it is a a rite of passage. If you live in Rochester, in the areas that I mentioned, you know what to do with snow or you will not survive and you know that some snow you can just ignore, like we did last week. Well, that's pretty, but it's going away in two days, praise the Lord. Or you can look at it and go, you know what, I need to remove that before we need to go out to work or go for this event, I need to make this clear. Or you know that this is going to actually be a significant amount of snow and so we need to move it aside and you might need to go out a couple of times and you may need to take care of it. You know that you need the right tools to move the snow, don't you? Say amen. Amen. Absolutely you do. You know what it's like to move the kind of snow. So let me ask you, which tool would you prefer using in a big snowfall? Would you prefer to use this tool, which is a toy shovel that my son had when he was somewhere between the ages of five and eight, I think? Oh, it's a car shovel. Never mind, it wasn't a toy shovel. I'm thinking of a different shovel. My wife has corrected me uh, and made sure that I'm telling the truth, which is actually really significant because that's what we're talking about today. But uh, this particular car shovel, it's not going to be good to clean your driveway, right? This is for emergencies only. This is the kind of shovel that in a pinch, if you get stuck, you can get just a little bit of traction and be on your way. No, you want something like this, right? You want something that you may even put on some... Some some uh, grease to keep the snow off the plastic so that it doesn't stick. You may sharpen the blade. Don't look at this one. This is clearly not sharp. But uh, you may sharpen the blade or get something with a blade on the end. You may get something with a curved stick to help with your back. If there's a whole lot of snow, and let's face it, we live in Rochester, and we know what a whole lot of snow really is, you may go out and think, this isn't good enough. I'm going to get a snow blower. I'm going to get a snow thrower. No, it might not even be good enough. You you decide, you know what we need? We need to have someone come and plow for us. We're gonna have someone with a blade on the truck. You may go out and get a blade for your truck. You may go out and get a truck! Just so that you can move the snow. That's what you want to do. As a matter of fact, one of the things that we know about how whether we've had a really good plow contract is what they bring to clean this, the plot, the lot here in the parking lot at the church. I remember when we moved here, it was one of the snowiest winters I'd ever experienced, super cold. And our snow plow guy showed up with like a front loader. And I went... I'm not used to Rochester yet because I've never seen anyone clearing our driveway with a front loader or clearing our lot with a front loader. And he just moved all the snow and got us ready for a Sunday. No, we know what it's like to need the right tools for the job, right? And if we're going to move snow, we've got to have the right tools. Now, in a big snowfall, how many times do you need to move the snow? as long as it's falling, right? If it's falling, you're shoveling. And one of the things you hope to do as a parent is that your kids get old enough so that you can trick them into thinking that snow shoveling is an awesome thing. Go ahead and go for it. I'll cheer you on from inside sipping my hot cup of cocoa. You know you have to shovel because the snow will never stop. That's what we want to do today is talk about really something that we know all too well And that is that our minds try to snow us under with the severity and the frequency of a game that it likes to play. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about and introduced the idea of how our minds play games with us that our thought life eventually becomes our lives, but the amount of things that we can focus on are limited but we also never stop learning. And we can learn use those two things to our advantage to be renewing our mind with the truth, be renewing our mind with God's truth. And last week, we talked about how one of the games that our minds play is that it leverages our emotions. It tries to get our emotions to trick us into thinking something that may or may not be true. And we talked about what to do when we don't feel like doing it. We learned that we need to think on excellent and praiseworthy things and that we need to look to excellent and praiseworthy people. We need to fill our mind with the right fuel, with the right food, and we need to dwell on that every day. But there's another kind of game that our brain likes to play. It doesn't just use our emotions it uses falsehoods our mind likes to use lies it likes to whisper things to us talk to us like it's a friend and say things that aren't true make us question reality sometimes our brains make it so easy for the enemy of our souls The enemy of our soul can just say like two things, one or two suggestions, and our mind is off to the races. And this is the way it's been since the beginning of creation. If you grew up up in church, you remember the story in Genesis 3, right? The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to, I'm going to assume that says the serpent. <laughs> uh, he did say not to eat any tree in the garden. Way to go. I forgot a sentence on it, clipped right off my Photoshop for some reason. The woman did say uh, that you sh- can you could eat from any tree in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat it, Eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Look what happens next. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her and ate it. Now, if you grew up in church, you know that this is a a story that's talking about how we are tempted but look at how our brains automatically just click towards this. This is what we want. He, the, our brains took one little thing that the enemy of our soul suggested. You'll, you'll be like God. Yeah. Oh, and it's good. Oh, and it, and, and it just runs. We just run with the things that we want to be true. And they're not. And we can do that, right? One of my friends... Uh, One of my pastor friends always texts me every morning. I think he texts a number of different pastors every Sunday, but uh, texts every Sunday, I should say, and just says, here's what I'm preaching on this Sunday, you know, praying that God would use you as he uses me and so on. And he's preaching this morning on how uh, sometimes we listen to teachers who tell us about a false Jesus. And he said, how is that possible in a church that's literate and educated like in the world today and he said exactly what this text is talking about this idea that we are looking for affirmations of truth that we already believe whether they're truthful or not we want to hear things that make us feel good and so we listen for people saying things that we already agree with and do you know why we do that proves we're okay We're on the right track, and we don't need to do anything. And our mind would love to get us to a point where that's all we do. One little suggestion from the enemy of our souls, and our minds are off to the races. You may not have had a serpent speak to you recently, but you know what this is like. Someone in my mind... um, uh, someone, when I was really, really young, put it in my mind that I could do anything. I think it was television. You know, you can be strong, you can stand up for anything, you can be courageous, you know, you're, you're more powerful than you think, and so on, and I took that to heart. Unfortunately, it didn't get me anywhere when I stood up to the bully on the playground, who wasn't even being a bully, I was, and he shoved back and I hit the ground. I lost I wasn't as strong as I thought. And I've never forgotten that. I got into a fight with a bigger kid just because I thought I'm strong enough and I can win. I just need to think positive thoughts. Well, he pushed positively harder. What other people can say can really impact us. No one is immune. I remember when I was in 7th, 8th grade... Someone made the suggestion to me that I should ask this girl to go steady, whatever that meant in seventh and eighth grade. Back then it seemed really cool, but where exactly were we going to go that was steady? I couldn't drive anywhere. Were we going to walk to the store across the road from the school and buy something together and share it? We didn't know what that meant. Anyways, I didn't know, but I heard this idea that maybe this girl liked me, and I thought, that's fantastic. So I went And ask, is is this true? Like, Like, is there? Is there something? And she looked at me, laughed, said, no way. And then went off to her friends who were watching behind some lockers down another hall, laughing the whole time. It was a total setup. And I had never asked myself the question, Do I like this girl? No, I liked the fact that maybe there was someone who liked me. And that really hurt. And it actually became something of a problem for me all the way through high school. A desire to be liked. A desire to be wanted. One little suggestion, and my mind took it from there. When we believe what other people say about us and it's not true, it hurts. It ends up hurting and ends up hitting hard. Because it feeds the little voice in our mind and we get trapped in a lie. Our minds don't even need a lot of help from other people, do they? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but just... Be honest with yourself if you've ever thought these things, or you've ever heard your mind whisper things like, you'll never change, no one actually likes you, you don't look good enough, or you aren't thin enough, or muscular enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not strong enough, you're not young enough, you're not smart enough, you're not skilled enough, you'll always be alone you'll never be financially secure you'll never dig your way out of debt you don't care enough you'll never know god like other people have said they know god you'll never have the life that you see in images and pictures and social media you'll never have those things and they eat at you and they come and they ref- they recur every once in a while Recently, I discovered um, that Craig Groeschel, uh, pastor of life.church, a number of campuses all across the country, he wrote a book recently called Winning the War in Your Mind. It's like he knew that um, I was going to be preaching this series, so he wrote a book ahead. (laughs) And I just had a chance to sit down and write it this week. I remember how I discovered it too. I was talking to Levi Owens, the campus pastor up at Crosstown, And I said, here's the sermon series we're doing after Easter. I'm really excited about it. We're calling Mind Games. And he goes, oh, that sounds like Craig Rochelle's book. And I said, what book? (laughs) It says this, and it's dealing with this. And in that book, finally I had a chance to read a little bit this week. And in that book, he tells a story. He says, when legendary magician Harry Houdini came into a town to do his show, he often went to the local jail, gathering a crowd of people along the way. To get Buzz going about his upcoming performance, he asked the jailer to lock him in a cell. Time after time, jail after jail, town after town, Houdini escaped within minutes. But one jailer had heard that Houdini was coming and the jailer was ready. When Houdini closed the cell door, the jailer put the key in the lock and secretly turned it in the wrong direction. And then he removed the key. And everyone watched as Houdini struggled to escape by unknowingly locking himself in over and over and over again. Finally, in frustration, Houdini admitted he could not escape. The jailer then revealed his deception. Houdini had believed a lie, and the lie had held him captive. And living your life by a lie, Craig says, is a lot like believing the door is locked when it's not On the other side is freedom. But you first have to commit to some personal lie detection to experience the abundant life Jesus came and died to give you. And this is so easy for our minds to play this game. We think that we just need to use this and we're fine. I actually think Just like we shovel snow, sometimes daily, sometimes twice, three, four times a day, sometimes we hire out for help. We need to have the right tools, the right shovel, to make sure that our minds aren't snowing us under. How do we do this? How do we win when our mind is so quick to whisper to us a lie that we are so ready to believe and run with? Well, the answer is, of course, you know this. It's not hard. You need to replace the lie with truth. But how do we do that? How do we replace the lie, understand what the lie is, and replace it with truth, with God's truth? How do we do this? Well, I think God, God's Word gives us a great place to start. And that is by considering who we listen to first and foremost. Who do we listen to first and foremost? Let me show you what I mean. If you have a Bible with you, turn with me in them to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to take a look at a lot of verses here. But there's an amazing truth about who we listen to that God wants to help us understand as we wrestle with the lies that our minds try to whisper to us and reinforce to keep us in the prison away from what God has for us. Look at uh, the first verse in Colossians chapter 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, Set your your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. The first thing that we have to do, the first thing that we must do, if we are going to overcome the lies that our minds whisper to us, is that we must first listen to the God who defines who we are, who defines us. Let God define you before you define you. You're not who others say that you are. You are who God says that you are. Jesus is your life. He died for you, gave you life. Your life is now hidden with Him in God's presence. And Paul says that to the church in Colossae twice. This Christ who is your life, look to Him. Jesus is your life because He's given you eternal life. He's given you abundant life. So set your mind on that life first and foremost. Set your mind on heavenly things because you have a heavenly Father. When Jesus appears, your full life will appear. So what Paul is just saying, remember who you are. Let God define you before you define you. Listen to the one who defines you because who you listen to will ultimately shape you. So listen to the God who wants to do just that. Another book I'm reading uh, for personal enjoyment is a devotional book by Tony Dungy. Do you know the name Tony Dungy? Is that a name you're familiar with? Tony Dungy is a Super Bowl winning football coach. Strong Christian uh, believer. As a matter of fact, uh, when football's on, you can catch him on Football Night in America on NBC. He's still wanted as a commentator and an analyst for football games on Sunday night. And he shared in his recent in his recent uh, devotion book called Uncommon, it's a great, great book for men wanting to pursue a passionate life towards God. Excellent read, a page, page and a half a day, something to think about and pray about and put it into practice. Really, really good. He wrote this. What do you think about the fact that you can approach God? What do you think about it? Do you feel that way in your prayer life, in your daily walk, wherever that takes you? That you can approach the God of the universe as if He is your Father, your Daddy. Because He is. I've got to be honest with you. I believe it, but it's still a bit intimidating for me. I know that what Christ did on the cross provided me and you with direct access to the Heavenly Father. Prior to the moment when Christ died on the cross and the temple curtain was torn in two, the only one allowed into the Holy of Holies where God resided in the temple was the priest and he was only allowed in there once a year. No one else had direct access. But when Christ said, it is finished and breathed his last breath on the cross, The curtain covering the Holy of Holies was immediately torn in half, signifying that we have now, or had, through Christ's death, direct access to God the Father. And that's really hard to fathom. But the picture of God standing with open arms waiting for me rather than being unapproachable behind a curtain is a welcoming vision. Someone said it this way, Tony writes, God has your picture... On his refrigerator. Father, Daddy, God. Be bold and start bonding with your Heavenly Father who makes Himself readily available. It's how God wanted it, and it's part of His plan for you to have an intimate, direct relationship with Him starting now and lasting for all eternity. I love that. I love that a guy who is so accomplished in life, in success, can admit that, gosh, this is a struggle to consider that I get to approach God and that it's uncomfortable to consider that. But what a picture that he paints, sharing that idea that it's your picture, and it's your picture, and it's your picture, and it's your picture. And it's your picture, and yours, and yours, and all of our pictures on God's refrigerator. He puts his family where he can see them, where he thinks about them. The lie that you can never change that you can never be different, that you can never be the person that God wanted you to be needs to be put to death daily. You need to shovel that out of your life as many times as it shows up in your driveway. It needs to be gone. I mean, think of the the verses that you find in Ephesians 1. I wish we had time to read all of it, but we don't. But there's just this amazing picture of all the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ because of Jesus, all the things that we've been forgiven. And one of the things that we are called in Ephesians 1 is that we are adopted. I don't know of an adopted person who does not go through at one point in their lives wondering, am I really part of the family? am I really like the other kids if they're naturally born to the mom and dad? And you know what mom and dad do in those situations? They work extra special hard to make absolutely sure that there is no difference between the kids that are naturally born and the kids are adopted. They are your son. They are your daughter. And you remind them of that over and over and over and over and over again. Because they're not outsiders, right? Right? Adopted kids are still your kids. That's the way God views us. And our minds would love to whisper to us nothing more than, well, you're really second class. You really you don't have that degree. You did that thing way back then. Or you don't have the capability. Or you don't have the talent. Or you'll never be enough. And God says, I think I've actually had enough of that kind of thinking. Let me tell you why you don't have to be enough. As a follower of Jesus, you and I are sons and daughters of the Most High God. That is who you are. You will have no greater status than being part of the family of God. Listen first and foremost to how God defines you before you listen to anyone else, including yourself. Now, to accept that definition, though, there's a second natural outpouring. If we're going to accept that definition of who God says we are, we also need to accept God's decisions about what we do. And we see this in the rest of Colossians, starting in verse 5. I apologize for this verse just straight up front. That's a giant wall of text, isn't it? Should have broken that down a little bit differently. But we'll read it slow, we'll go along together. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. And you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. all of these things don't do these things do these these things because of jesus what paul is saying is since god has defined you give him the opportunity to refine you since god has defined you let him refine you change you shape you jesus died to forgive all of our sins don't continue in sin Refuse to follow the old ways. Refuse to listen to the lies that say, you know, it's okay just this once. It's okay if I look. It's okay if I think that. Refuse to listen to the voice that says, you deserve this. Life is hard. You've paid a price. Enjoy it. Don't listen to the voice that tries to encourage you to think, I've just got it so hard. I just need to find some relief somewhere, somehow, and it doesn't matter what. People just don't know how hard my life is. Refuse to listen to the lie that says it's not that bad. It's just a, you know, comparatively, it's not as bad as, you know, those other things. It's not, don't have to worry about that. And refuse to listen to the lie that says, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what the world did. You don't know what that person's done. Pursue what God asks you to pursue. Become who God has asked you to become. Allow Him to shape your actions and your attitudes. How do we do that? When I played sports in high school, we all, everyone on the team came with a different level of talent. Um, there were some really good, skilled players on the team. I was not one of them. I was just tall in basketball. So that helped. But the interesting thing was that even the most skilled players did not call the plays. Do you know who called the plays? The coach. The coach would be on the sideline and he'd yell out a number and we were to know what the play was that corresponded to that number and then we would go into set positions and then we would run a drill and we would try to find the person that was open and when it came to the first person that was legitimately open, they took a shot. It wasn't always the person who was skilled, it was the person who was open and we would run the play until someone got open in basketball. It's the coach that calls the plays. Why? Because every player on the court thought they were the best player on the court. And we needed an objective set of eyes to say, actually, this is the best play because I'm not interested in your personal statistics, the things that you're looking to see whether I was successful or not in a game. Instead, the coach looks for, did we win? Did we set ourselves up for the best opportunity to win? In other words, we moved away from the I game to the team game, the we game. And we needed a coach to do that. If the team wins, the individual wins. And it's not the other way around all the time, is it? When God wins, even if you're not the star on the court, you win. Everyone has to listen to the coach. And athletes, they understand this. They understand this idea of training, of what it takes to be the best players they can be to listen to the coach. I remember there were some uh, commercials for shoes long, long, long time ago where it showed a person running showed their feet hitting the ground. It was clearly a sunrise. Like, you know, the sun was barely up. There was mist everywhere on the road. Nobody else was around. And the slogans uh, along the bottom or the narration went something along the lines of, I know the bed is calling me. I know the pillow has said just five more minutes. But somewhere in the world, someone's already up. Someone's already going. So I'm getting up. And athletes do this, right? Athletes, they, they put themselves into a place where they can win. They give up things that are detrimental for them to get to the, the highest place of competition that they can be, right? They, they don't go out and they don't eat the foods that other people eat because they know that that will be bad for them, that will be bad for their energy. They go to bed early. They get up early. They ignore all the other social events that other people are going to and they focus specifically on their craft. They want to be excellent at the sport they're trying to compete in. Christian, are you trying to be excellent at the faith that God is asking you to compete with? Or are you mailing it in? Compete. Paul would say elsewhere in Scripture that He runs in such a way to get the prize. He beats his body. He does not let what he is feeling interpret whether he is being excellent or not. He allows the coach to do that. And he encourages us to do that. Run in such a way. Run the race in such a way as to win the prize. Win the crown. Don't settle for second. Run the absolute best excellent race you can and don't say that you cannot if God has asked you to run because your mind will say I don't have to I don't need to it's for someone else I deserve a little bit you don't know what they did to me and Paul is very clear the Bible is very clear about what we do with that we shovel those feelings out we put them to death Don't marginalize this. Let's call the things that we need to put to death for what they are, the lies that we've believed. Let's get to the root of what we believe and give that over to God so that He can transform and shape us and refine us because we know that's not who God wants us to be. That's not who you want to be, so you can bring these to His attention and ask Him for help. Since God defines you, allow God to refine you. Since you live because of Him, live for Him. Live only for Him. Craig in his book actually gives something that I'm just going to give away for you for free. You don't even have to have it. Um, This is called a thought audit. And this thought audit is going to be available for you to download Off of our website, under our messages tab, you can go to our most recent message, Mind Games Part 3 this week, or if you're just listening, uh, you'll be able to find these links uh, down below the message where you're listening from, just visit our website, Uh, you'll be able to get them there. But this is some homework I want to encourage you to do, and think of this homework as the test isn't from Pastor Brian, the test comes from Pastor Brian's boss. It is up to you as an athlete to want the most excellent faith that you can possibly have. It's up to you to put in the work. So do the work. And this is the thought audit. Let me explain it. This is how it's going to work. The goal of this exercise is to give you the opportunity to think about what you think about. There are two parts to this exercise. Part one is the inventory. As you go through a normal day, take stock of your thoughts. Write them down. Type them into the notes on your phone or record them in your voice memo app to transcribe later. Part two, do an audit of your thoughts. Here are 20 questions to help you analyze what you see in your inventory, what you regularly think. And I've, Craig, uh, I've broken down the questions into two categories, defense, protection from lies and offense growth towards truth here are the questions defense are my thoughts tearing me down do I think worried thoughts does my self-talk cause me to shrink back in fear do my thoughts cause me to keep people at a distance are my unhealthy thoughts keeping me from the life I want Are my unhealthy thoughts keeping me from the life God wants for me? Are my thoughts negative, toxic, or self-deprecating? Does my inner voice tell me that I'm helpless or that my life is hopeless? Do I find myself skeptical of others? Do I lean towards imagining worst-case scenarios? That's the defense. What about the offense? Are my thoughts building me up? Do I think peaceful thoughts? Does my self-talk inspire me to take faith risks? Do my thoughts help me to get closer to others? Do my thoughts reflect my faith? Are my thoughts God-honoring? And Do my thoughts reflect my hope in Christ?" So watch for that sheet. It's going to be available. I would love to just hand it out. It is there's a link for it already. That's going to be posted in the video, uh, in the live stream that you're watching now. So hosts, if you can link that if you haven't, uh, and we will make sure for those that are watching in person that that gets up on our messages part of our website where you'll be able to have it. I want to encourage you to do the work. I was actually talking with some folks before church who said, "How do you do that when your mind is racing a mile a minute?" Right. And I said, start. It's, it's like riding a bike. When you first start, you're not sure how to do it. But leverage the natural ability that you have to learn. And everyone has a natural capability to learn. Leverage those skills and put them into practice towards working through this sheet. Here's the thing. This is like a budget. The first financial budget you make, Dave Ramsey tell us will, tells us, will always be bad. But the nice thing is, is that it's not trapping you for eternity. If that budget doesn't work, make a new one with what you've learned and your goals that you want to achieve towards financial freedom. And then when that doesn't work, because it won't work eventually, do it again and again and again and again. And eventually it becomes easier and you start to develop systems that work for you. I guarantee you if you sit down and try and get your thought audit perfect the very first time, you're going to get frustrated and say, I hate Pastor Brian, why does he give us homework like this? But try it. And if it doesn't work, give it a day, try it again. If that doesn't work... Give it a day. Try it again. And you will start to discover that, one, thinking about thinking is hard. And that thinking about the way you think is harder. Because you already think you think correctly. But now that we know that our minds want to lead us to this place where maybe that's not quite true, we can start to look to the God first. To God first and foremost. Because of what he has done for us he's defined us and he wants to refine us so i'm just saying try it and if at first you don't succeed try try again right however i also want to give you some things to talk about with others that's just a sheet meant for you you'll never have to turn it in it's meant between you and the lord if you want to share it with your spouse fine but i think just wrestle through that yourself that's That's the nugget that you're going to get from that, but I also want to give you, as we always do, some questions that you can talk about with others. You may uh, talk about them in your group, uh, or you can talk about them with uh, your family on your way home or after the service uh, when we wrap up in a few moments. Here are those questions. Reread Colossians 3, 1-4, and maybe reread uh, Ephesians 1, 1 1-14. What are the benefits? What benefits have we been given because of our relationship with Christ? And question two, what lies have you put to death? Have you shoveled out of your life? What lies have you put to death as you realize the truth of how Jesus is defining and Jesus is refining you? Since God defines you, Allow God to refine you. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thanks for this time. Lord, it is difficult to admit that we are quick to believe falsehoods. We know there is an enemy of our souls who just needs to give that a little bit of fuel and we just take it and make it a wildfire in our minds and ultimately in our lives. And so, Lord, we need to regularly be putting to death those lies. So would you help us? Would you help us to always be defined by who you say we are? And because of who we are in Christ, the life that we have that's coming and the abundant life that you want to give us now, I pray, Lord, that you would give, help us to give you permission and freedom to refine us. And would you give us the strength, the stamina, the dedication to being excellent in our faith and ultimately just to have the best relationship we could possibly have with you. No matter what we have to put to death, no matter what we have to start bringing to life in our lives, would you help us to allow you to refine us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.